let's do this. Let's butcher some names. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> Be some Hi everyone, welcome to Manga in Your Ears. Um, the music you just heard was from the first opening of Phantom Thief Gene, which is going to be our first uh, series that we talk about today. Uh, with I'm April, and with me I have uh, Corey and Helen, as always. Hello. Hello. Um, so, uh, Phantom Thief Gene uh, is a completed series that's currently... Uh, licensed by Viz. Um, it is five volumes. I think each volume is two uh, two individual volumes, so they're omnibus volumes. Um, it was originally put out uh, by CMX um, a number of years ago, and then Viz uh, licensed Rescued it and, and released it in um, a little bit of a nicer format. Um, as far as the series itself, um, Phantom Thief Gene is a little bit of everything, but uh, I would say that it is a magical growth series so it is about the main character <laughs> I feel like I'm going to completely butcher her name but it's uh, Moran and uh, she is uh, the reincarnation of Joan Arc, if I can remember it correctly and uh, she um, is a thief is sort of a magical girl thief um, that collects pieces of God's power um, that are in sort of paintings. So she sort of goes around and is a thief and collects those pieces of God's power. Um, it sounds a little out there, but she's got a bunch of friends. She's got um, a love interest. She's got um, parents that abandon her. Everything sort of shoujo sort of comes together in this one particular series. And then you combine it with uh, Arena Tanimura's, the author's um, sort of very shoujo-esque uh, aesthetic. It's there are a lot of ribbons, a lot of flowers. Um, the main character is a, also a, rhythm, a rhythmic gym, gymnast. So there, there's a ton uh, going on there. There's a lot to look at in the series. There's also a lot to like. Um, so I guess maybe we can start there. Uh, what were your all's, some of your all's favorite things about the series? I haven't really reread it since high school, but when I um, checked out a volume from my library before this podcast, I opened up a book and I felt like I was being smacked in the face of the 90s. <laughs> it's such a 90s shoujo art style. And it really is a little bit of everything, like you said. Like, I think this counts as Arena Tanimura's, like, second work, so I feel like she kind of had all these ideas and tried to put them into one volume. Not one volume, one series. And it's funny, because having read a few of her other series, I can definitely see some trends like um, God and angels that pop up again in later books. So I feel like it's a little bit of an overwhelming series. This should not be baby's first show, Joe. It's a lot. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on here. This is her second series. She had a uh, one-volume series before this, just called Ion, and uh, th this is actually seven volumes in Japanese, and then they released, like, plus volumes, but not quite omnibus volumes, uh, of five each, uh, in the Viz versions, and yeah, it is super weird, like, I'm on, uh, I don't remember if I read this back when I was, like, first getting into manga, 
but I'm on the fourth volume now, and it's like the the entire conceit of the manga has changed from the first volume to the fourth volume. Yes. And it's, there's not like I would not guess this based on what I read in the first volume. I mean, yeah, yeah we've got the best friend who's trying to catch the phantom thief, who's actually, you know, their best friend. We've got the love interest who might also be a rival in, you know, some thiefy ways. We've got betrayals. Again, we've got God because the main character is reincarnation of Joan d'Arc. Like, the fact is that she's still considered a thief because when she steals God's power out of the paintings, they, like, turn into totally different paintings. Like, there is a lot. (laughs) I think there's even more reincarnation stuff going on in there. Yeah. 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 No one complains about the her stealing the art usually because it turns into like this beautiful depiction of Joan of Arc. I'm not, I thought it was the Virgin Mary, but I think the it's, idea is that like someone. it's like the power that she's stealing out of the paintings. Like also, it seems like this power is also like influence people's hearts. So when they see like this good pure thing afterwards, they're like, "Oh, I feel so much better now." Yeah. Although she also has to go through like all these really crazy traps to get to the painting. Sometimes like they remind me a little bit of Detective Conan. Probably because I think I was reading a little bit of Detective Conan at the time, but just like these really outlandish setups, you know, for the thief to try and get past, where you just look at this and you go, this is bullshit, this is what happened in real life, this is BS. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact that, like, a high schooler is in charge of trying to catch Go to Bark, well, where, whereas the, the dad... <laughs> well, I thought it was her dad in charge. Her dad is, like, in charge, but he's uh, drawn as this very yeah. short person. Yeah. Uh, like a chibi person, and uh, he seems to have no input beyond be careful, daughter, or something. <laughs> yeah, this one, I'd read about half of it, and then I reread it this week, the whole thing this week for the podcast. And I was under the impression that, I don't know where I got it from, but I was under the impression that this was like a classic, that everybody's read it and everybody loved it. And I read it, and I'm like, there's, there's so many things going on. In this. Like, there's so many things going on. In the like, like Corey said in the beginning, it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is these are the various parts, and then you get in the middle, and there's this reincarnation thing, and then you have the small fairies that are fallen angels, and they've also been reincarnated. It's just, it's really, and um, then you have the romance angle of it, which there would be parts of the series where I thought, okay, they're together now, and then like you would go into the next chapter, and they're like, I don't know if. She likes me. And I'm like, but I thought, I thought you all were together now. I thought we had established that, like, well, it, I thought it was great. And it, it, they just, I don't know, it was, that was frustrating throughout the entire series. Yeah, the the best oh, friend, who is the police person, uh, acts antagonistic toward Maron, like, the entire manga, it seems. And I don't really know where it came from, besides, like, she's trying to catch... Uh, this this phantom thief, and she's not succeeding at that. So maybe she's taking out on them. And, and then there's the rival whose name is something Chiaki, I think. Yep. And then uh, he is like not a reincarnation, but he appears as Sinbad, and he is working for the Demon King, whereas Joan of Arc is working for God. And that's the direction that I assumed the manga would go. Oh my god, that's such an anime line, too. I'm sorry. He's working for the Demon King, and Joan of Arc is working for God. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anime is ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, this isn't a classic, although I do feel like a lot of people have probably read this since it was put out by CMX earlier, since Mm -hmm. when I read it had to be closer to the early 2000s, and it was licensed, picked up by Viz. 
Clearly, they saw enough value in this to pick it back <laughs> up and reissue it. Yeah. Which sounds like a down, but I'm, I try to mean that just honestly. And Tynemura's other works also have a lot of melodrama. Like, honest to God, I think Full Moon probably has more melodrama, at least in the <laughs> romance department. Also, since like the main character is like actively dying in Full Moon, but this comes close. This comes real close. Yeah, and her current one of her current series, I guess she has several current series. I can't tell, but uh, Idle Dreams, which is about like this thirty-one-year-old <laughs> who transforms into a thirteen-year-old, and then other thirteen-year-olds start to fall in love with thirteen-year-old version of her. So yeah, melodrama all around. And the person who's transforming her into her younger self has like a crush on her from high school, but can never admit it. Like, yeah. but she has a crush on this other guy. Yeah, at least this one isn't a love triangle. I think. I feel like there's, like, a guy childhood friend, but you know from the first volume he's not going to make it. You just know. <laughs> I think this you is do. Like a, it's like a trope. <laughs> this seems like a love square, because there's the class rep who is trying to catch Sinbag to prove to Marin that he's cool. So he likes Marin, and then the the girl... Oh, that's what he was doing? I totally missed that part. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but, but you just know that he and, like... The other girl who's trying to catch Jean are just going to end up together because, you know, yeah. thematic symmetry. And because Chiaki <laughs> and Maron are totally going to get, get together. And uh, the police girl likes Chiaki, but she's not going to interfere with her best friend's love. And it seems like <laughs> throughout this entire manga of them, her trying to catch Jean <laughs> and then him trying to catch Sinbag, that they've gotten closer and more antagonistic, thus loving toward each other. Who knows? The police girl doesn't want to interfere with Jean and Chiaki, but then, you know, closer towards the end or in the middle, Jean is like, well, I don't want to interfere with police girl. I'm like, oh, my gosh, well, one of you all just decided to be with it. It was killing me as an adult. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, somebody just date each other, please. (laughs) If anyone's wondering just how all these things go down, since this is an awful lot even for, like, a shoujo series... Um, Maron lives by herself since her parents are like perpetually out of town. I'm pretty sure her parents get divorced at one point, and then there's a reveal that like the Demon King has been orchestrating like Maron's parents falling apart to try and like put her in a more emotionally vulnerable spot. Yeah, Maron's parents like, working abroad as well is part of the Demon King's huge plan. <laughs> it's like I kind of wish that like. I could just be like, yeah, representation, you know, of a divorced family for once. But on the other hand, it's like, this is just magically contrived reasons for parents to get divorced. Like, this doesn't count, Tanimura, this doesn't count. <laughs> that, was, that was actually kind of shocking, that that whole thing with her parents, or her parents being gone, was like 17 years since the Demon King. That was like the one time in the series where I was like genuinely shocked. I was like, what? Whoever this is has been ruining her life for almost 20 years. <laughs> Someone's playing the long game here. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's been playing the game for 500 years, so what's another 17? <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Oh, gosh. I don't even know where you go after that with this one. Let's go with the fact that she uses her rhythmic gymnastics tools to steal paintings. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> I'm pretty sure she, she's, like, using her ribbon and the clubs that you use in rhythmic gymnastic yeah. routines for like stuff like this. Like, super like, strong and magical, so she can grab stuff. I'm pretty sure this one started um, serializing after Cardcaptor Sakura, 
And Cardcaptor Sakura has been on my mind recently with the new anime. So I keep wondering, hmm, Sakura was a cheerleader. I wonder if that influenced anything. Mm. You know, just the timing and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ribbon getting after that Cardcaptor Sakura popularity. I think the... The one thing that I kind of, I wasn't sure if I was really into was the whole Finn and Access backstory. I just, mm, it came a little late, I think. Yeah. And then it was like really, to me, it was like, okay, so there's this, it's just the, the girl in the rock and the water. That was weird. I feel like a lot of these. I feel like a lot of these points were, like, her and the editor talking, being like, well, what if we just do this twist? And then <laughs> and coming back the next week, being like, how do we explain what we just did? Yeah, like, the romance between... Like... Yeah, the romance between Finn, who is um, Maron's um, little angel fairy thing, and then... Who's Jockey's Access, he said? Yeah. Access, yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like Tanimura did, like, a similar version of that romance, kind of a little more in Full Moon, and it just worked better there. Um, oh. If people have only seen the anime, they, they won't know, because the anime, like... The, the full moon anime is less crazy than the manga, honestly, so... But yeah, like I said, I feel like she just shoved all of her ideas into one story, and then she's been reusing bits and pieces of them ever since. Like, I think mm. the only thing we didn't have in here was anyone, like, magically changing age, like, getting older or younger. I think that's about the only one we haven't had in here. <laughs> Not yet. I haven't finished it, so <laughs> maybe it'll happen still. Maybe it happens at the end, and I totally forgot. Yeah. They do time travel. This is true, this yeah. is true. Okay, that's when it just, that completely came out of left field. It was also like, what is this? Gee, I mean, because the, even that is, like, prompted by her, like, falling out of a window. I'm like, I can't deal with this wait, anymore. Wait, is this a series with Funda Ark, who was, like, betrayed by her close friend, who's now a villain in the current timeline, and then... Is this this year in Trying to Park series? Oh, I mean, it, they have that part where she gets, where they try to burn her. But I don't, I don't know if her friend betrayed her. Mm, no, I, I just, don't think. Trying to Park comes up a lot in anime. I think I'm thinking <laughs> of something else, guys. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she so. is in here. And there's that whole weird, like, virginity thing. So then. Oh, okay. oh that yeah. So yeah, that weird. was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. There's like the one panel where Joan of Arc is smiling. She's at the stake, about to be burned, and she's like, "Sorry, can't use my powers anymore. They rape me." And I'm like, <laughs> "What the?" <laughs> it's really out there. And then <laughs> Marin is like, "No, it's okay. As long as you're noble in your heart, it's fine." I'm like, "What is?" Well, at least Marin is trying to not victim blame there, at least. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That is a good point. Oh, boy, yeah. it's Well, and I guess that I had seen this as, like, a very, like, this is a series you see, at least where I'm from, this is a series you see a lot in libraries, something, you know, like, kids are picking it up. I'm like, there's a lot going on in this series. A whole bunch. So, yeah. We do recommend reading this, I think, or at least yeah. I do. It's a fun trip. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you don't, Corey? <laughs> no, I do. I, do, I, I agree. Uh, I don't know if it's like kid friendly, kid kid friendly, getting to yeah. later later junior high, high school probably. Yeah, yeah. Now that you you mentioned that, yeah, I think it's worth uh, reading through at least once. I'm not unhappy that I read it, but I I don't know if it's one that I would revisit a lot. But it's definitely worth uh, reading once. I do feel like it's it is 
sort of a classic series that a lot of folks have read. Um, so it's, it's worth the the one time through. But I didn't know if we if we had anything else to wrap up this series or if you all uh, want to go ahead and take a break. I think I need a break. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've uh, we've had a lot of ribbons and flowers, and but we will go ahead and take a break, and we will be back. We are back. We are here this time on the last half to talk about Golden Kamui. This is that getting an anime? Did I just forget that? It's getting one in the spring, yeah. Okay. Well, it's getting an anime in the spring, but for now, it's a manga uh, by Sakura Noga. It's published by Viz Media, and it is about uh, this dude, Saichi Sugimoto, who was uh, a soldier in the Russo-Japanese War, which if you know anything about the Russo-Japanese War, it was this pivotal war in that Eastern power has beaten the Western power for the first time in modern history, I guess. Uh, that's about uh, how much I got out of the cursory read of the war that I did. And he's known as Immortal Sugimoto because he's been through all these things, and um, he has never died. So in the opening chapter, he meets this old dude who tells him this crazy story about uh, these people that stole gold from the Ainu, who are uh, an indigenous, indigenous people of Japan, and he meets this... I knew a girl named Aserpa. Is that how you how you say it? Aserpa. Yeah. <laughs> we need the anime to come out already, so we can watch clips of the anime on YouTube and figure out how to say names. Yep, uh, I agree. Yeah, so uh, he meets this girl whose name is of various pronunciations, and uh, they decide to find the map that was tattooed onto all these prisoners, um, and find this treasure of the Ainu people and give it back to them. And throughout the way, they fight a bunch of bears and make friends with wolves, and <coughs> people's heads are slashed off by bears. It's very violent, but it's very good. Well, what do you all think of it? It's funny because it sounds like this story would take a lot to get into, because like the basic setup is kind of dense, and you're like, okay, so he's trying to find gold that was stolen by one group of people from another group of people, and there's a map involved. So it's like a really dense first chapter, but once you got that down, you're like, okay, so we're just hunting down escaped convicts <laughs> in the northern reaches of Hokkaido in Japan. Okay, cool, let's go. Yep. It's fun if you enjoy the gore, or not enjoy the gore, you're going to at least tolerate it, if not enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy the hunting parts. <laughs> like, all the food cooking they do is funny. Yeah, those are all very entertaining. Anything that had to do with food, because she is eating, like, squirrel brains and other brains. My stepsister tells me squirrel brains are really good. Oh, neat. Did she eat them raw? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure she cooked them, but when she was younger, like, we'd have to tell her, okay, don't tell people when you first meet them that you like squirrel brains. This is like, you know... <laughs> Like your second or third meeting people, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> they must be really good. <laughs> yeah, so they eat all these weird things, but uh, Sugimogo has miso, which uh, a Serpa just thinks is poop. So he's <laughs> like, don't put poop in the soup. Don't say that you're satisfying when you're eating the poop. 
So there's, there are these comedic moments when people's faces get slashed off two pages later, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, the story really feels a lot like Sugimoto learns about Ainu culture. And I, I wonder if this was an excuse for the creator just to really dig into it. And this is definitely the first time I've come across the Ainu in manga since they're, um, they're sort of the equivalent of Native Americans in the U.S., in which that they are indigenous, they've been in Japan a lot longer, and they've been treated like absolute shit by the government for a while. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if this was an excuse for the mangaka to learn a little more about Ainu himself, since the book like lists references at the back, like the manga. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. References at the back, and, and Sukimoto actually approaches it pretty well. He's just kind of like, "We're going to eat squirrel brains. I'm not so sure. Okay, these are good. Okay, we're good. Okay, I'm going to keep mm-hmm. eating them then." He's fairly open-minded. <laughs> yeah, it gives me the vibe of a couple different things. So it kind of reminds me of Blade of the Immortal, just in the sense of, like, the gore and the violence, and then you have the older older man and then the younger, like, sort of child on an adventure together with sort of two different objectives. Um, and then as far as, like, the historical work that looks like it's gone into it, it reminds me of um, sort of what we see in Emma. Like, it, it, it does seem like uh, the author is really into that and then uses the manga as a way to sort of uh, explore... Uh, the different traditions of that culture. So I, I do think it was purposeful and uh, that, that they're probably interested in that. Um, but yeah, I, for me, I almost wish this first volume was an omnibus because I feel like it it might take a little bit to get going. And right now there are only three volumes out and I've only read one. And I would have I could have probably used another volume. And like you all said, that first chapter is like really dense. I actually thought about rereading it right before uh, the podcast, but I didn't get the chance to. Um, but I definitely think it for me it's going to take another volume to really get it going and to see um, whether I want to whether I want to stick it out because it looks like there are twelve volumes total so it's not super long. It's already over. Yeah, no, it's still ongoing. Oh, okay. Oh, it's ongoing. Oh, maybe uh, Wiki listed twelve, so I just assumed that it was done. But okay, no, it's not. Well, currently, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, like I follow um, some folks on Twitter who really like Golden Kamui. Um, yeah. I, I picked it up before I started following them. And so they're talking about, like, all these, like, it seems like main characters. And I'm like, I didn't meet any of these people in the first volume. Who the heck is Shraishi? Who is this Shraishi mm. dude with the bald head that everyone's going flipping nuts over? Who is he? <laughs> if you know, tell us on Twitter, please. Isn't he in the first volume? I don't think so. Um, he's definitely in the second volume because I know who he is. Yeah, because it's like, I know that they meet a couple of prisoners in the first volume. And one of them is dead, so they do skin him to get the map off his back, and at least one other they meet, but they just tie him up and sketch out his back while he's alive, because they are... Uh, Sugimoto and Aspira can be a little bloodthirsty, but they're not about to be killing somebody in cold blood just to get the skin off their back. That's actually one of her uh, conditions for working with them, is no killing. Mm -hmm. Ah. Because killing, I guess, in the Ainu culture is something that will take you further away from God, and then that you would not be able to ascend, or... I forget the specifics, which is awful of me, but... Oh, do they mention that specifically? Yeah. I'm not sure if it's... Because I just figured she was like a normal person who didn't want to go around killing people, so... Yeah, no. Alright, so, uh... Shiraishi is actually in the, like, the last part of the first volume. Oh, He's the escape artist. Oh, that's him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then they fall. I'm not interested. They fall into the river, and they almost die. Well, that happens in every chapter. Yeah. 
well, this one is falling to the river and almost die. Other chapters, uh, it's like running to a bear and almost die. Yeah, that's a really impressive scene in like the first or second chapter where they're having yeah. to like kill a bear that's charging at them. There's no way to get away from it. It's woken up in the middle of hibernation, and it's a really intense thing. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned that bear skulls can probably deflect bullets. So if I ever run into a bear in the U.S., which is a possibility, honestly, uh, I know not to do that, at least. Yes. There's another sequence, I believe it's in the second volume, where they run into a very angry bear, and uh, he learned from his grandfather, not he, uh, as in Tsugimogo, but a, a different soldier learned from his grandfather, that what you wanted to do is not point your gun at it, be very calm, and just wait for the anger to subside, because he will not view you as an enemy. Wait for the anger to subside. <laughs> yes. So you just have to act very calm, and not make any movements toward the bear. And it probably won't kill you because it doesn't view you as a threat. Uh, I guess that works if it's angry. But like in the U.S., they say that if you're going trekking out into the backcountry, like always be making noise so you scare the bears away from you. But <laughs> those bears probably, probably aren't as angry. And this is probably like in the too late section. Yeah, Golden Kamui is great, but we are not going to be taking all of our bear management tips from it. No, I don't think I'll take like any bear management tips from it. <laughs> Well, you live in Iowa. They don't have bears in Iowa. No, we just have deer. Yeah, but where's that deer, Corey? We also have deer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, and if anyone was um, listening earlier and caught that um, Sugimoto's in like, his 20s and Aspira is, I think, about 12 and is thinking, uh-oh, romance, it's not romantic at all. It really is, like, a brother-sister relationship. And not like one of those creepy anime brother-sister relationships, like a real relationship <laughs> where the two of them respect each other, dunk on each other a little bit, learn from each other. None of this fucking insisting or anything. Yeah. And Sugimogo has a love interest of his own back in his hometown, but he, mm-hmm. he, can, he doesn't view himself as being worthy of that since he was in the war and he's done all these heinous things. Mm-hmm. Although if I remember right, part of the reason he's trying to get the stolen gold is so that he can provide for her, I think, since I think um, his childhood love interest, he knows, um, probably doesn't have any family left, and I think she's dealing with blindness as well yeah, so he's losing her eyesight and she has a kid um so he wants to be able to provide for her and like that's all all he wants the money for everything else he would just give back to the Ainu people because it's their money and he just wants like a finder's fee yeah and that's part of the reason why spear and sugimoto are able to work together he's not trying to claim it or anything he's like I, he's like yes i understand this is yours i just want a little bit of it <laughs> yes oh and a big thing that i we probably skipped over um is her father is one of the ones that was guarding the gold and was killed in the process of having the gold stolen. And that was in the first chapter or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Aspira's father helped gather the gold, was guarding the gold, was killed by Japanese soldiers, and then, like, the ringleader of that was later imprisoned for some other crimes. And when he was in prison, he convinced all these prisoners who were in the same holding cell with him to get tattoos made on their back, to form a map, to get to the gold. Make around their bodies. And, like. Yeah, and, they, and, and Aspira figures out once she sees it that this is the kind of map that you would make, that you that would only make sense if you, like, pulled off the skin and laid it together. Yep. And so it's like, like I said, it's a lot in the first volume, but once, first chapter even, but once you get through that basic setup, it's actually not that hard to remember. You just have to remember key details, like escape prisoners, maps, gold. And the second volume delves uh, a little bit more, like, solely into their adventure, who is pursuing them, which is a different brand of soldiers that also wants the gold. Um, and also, they have an extended um, 
extended couple of chapters where they're just in the an Ainu village, which is Aspira's Ainu village, um, and they just hang out there for a couple of volumes, or not a couple of volumes, a couple of chapters. Are they eating good food? Uh, they are eating various things. He finds <laughs> a bear cub and hanging out with them. Oh, oh, that I think I've seen pictures of on uh, Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like in his coat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's making, like, little bear noises at it. Yep. <laughs> I just really hope people don't find only those images for Golden Kamui and think the whole story is, like, some sort of heartwarming tale of a man raising a bear in the wilderness, because that's not it at all. No. <laughs> it is about a man fighting bears in the wilderness more than it is about a man <laughs> raising bears in the wilderness. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, any final thoughts on Golden Kamui? It's interesting. It's an interesting one. I could, I definitely think it fits. <clears throat> excuse me, in the in the Viz Sig line, it definitely feels like one of those series. Um, I just need to read the next couple of volumes to see where it goes. But it <clears throat> it's an interesting pickup, and it's a uh, it's different than Phantom Thief Gene. So <laughs> that's always good to have variety. <laughs> we are committed to giving our listeners whiplash in every episode. <laughs> But yeah, I am down with this manga. I really enjoyed the first game, and I'm really excited for the anime coming this spring, since I don't know if my library has copies of 2 and 3 yet, so if not, then the anime's going to be how I'm experiencing a lot of the story for the first time. I will continue to buy these volumes, or Dana will buy these volumes, I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, it's super good. Uh, the animals are both cuddly and terrifying all at once. Uh... Yeah, I guess I just want to see Tsubimoto continue to fight things and learn more about the Ainu culture because the manga seems very committed to spreading that knowledge. Yeah, it kind of reminds me how there were some stories I read um, when I was in like elementary, middle school, where um, people would be like living in the wilderness and it would tell you extensively how they dealt with trapping and everything. And this reminded me a lot of that. So I think anyone who's a little bit into those survivalist stories and want something a little more hardcore than, like, the laid-back camping story we have this season. No offense, but just, like, more hardcore. This would probably be up your alley. Well, uh, let's close this episode out. Where can we find you both on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mondioran. Um, I still hang around uh, the LASG uh, with Helen, so you can find uh, the both of us there. Yep, like uh, April said, you can find me at the OASG, where I am tormenting Justin with my overly long posts. Uh... <laughs> I, let's see. No, 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 no. I, I turned in one of like 2,200 words today. I, I'm tormenting him, so. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Wandering Dreamer, and um, you can find me on the OASG's podcast, which comes out every other week just like this one does. And you can find me on Twitter at Passionate K. This podcast is on Twitter at Manga in Your Ears, uh, and you can find all of our episodes at taikupodcast.com, which is my other sports anime podcast that I do. Oh, and you had me on recently for our two-and-a-half-hour-long year in review. Oh, yeah. It was like an hour and a half shorter than usual. <laughs> well, we only had five people, so... True. Well, I don't know. I think we had three people for the movies one last year, and that was like four hours. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Chris talks a lot. <laughs> we love you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Can't